Ever heard of a guy named Casey Close? Okay, Casey Close, name ring a bell. I'll give you a hint, okay? Casey Close is what I would call an intercessor. Some of you are saying that was not helpful at all. What, what, is, what does intercessor mean? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary. The word means a, a person who petitions in favor of other people. So an intercessor petitions in favor of others. Does that help you? Who's Casey Close? Oh, you still don't. Yeah, intercessor. You, you, you were listening. But I'll give you an extra hint here. The person he's petitioned in favor of that's made the news is the all-star shortstop for the New York Yankees, Derek Jeter. So who's Casey Close? Some of you are saying, oh, you misled us by saying he's an intercessor. He's a sports agent. Yep, same thing. Intercessor, sports agent. A sports agent is a person who petitions in favor of some celebrity athlete. And Casey Close is pretty good at it because on two occasions now, he's gone to the New York Yankees owners and he's petitioned in favor of Derek Jeter and he's brought home the bacon. I mean, multi-year, multi-million dollar contracts. I'd say he's pretty good as an intercessor. And what I want to challenge you to become today is an intercessor. Now, you're not going to petition in favor of some sports celebrity. It's probably going to be a husband or one of your kids or a neighbor or the receptionist at work or one of the International Impact Partners of Christ Community Church that you'll intercede for. And you're probably not going to be asking for a multi-million dollar contract for these individuals. What you're going to be asking for is physical health or wisdom for some big decision that they're faced with or freedom from an addiction or a personal relationship with Jesus or any number of things. And it's not a sports team owner you're going to be standing before when you petition in favor of these individuals. It's going to be God Almighty that you stand before. And we're in the fourth week of a five-part series on prayer called Teach Us to Pray. We're learning essential lessons about prayer from Jesus. And today's lesson is all about intercessory prayer. So if you didn't take your, your program out yet, the outline, get it out and turn with me to John chapter 17. Our text is John 17, and it's one long intercessory prayer. All 20, 26 verses of John 17 belong to an intercessory prayer that Jesus prayed. He prayed this for his disciples, and, now listen to this, he prayed it for you. If you are a follower of Jesus today, this is a prayer he prayed for you. In fact, I just want to note one verse. We're going to pick up a verse in the middle of the passage. Later, we'll go back and start at the beginning of John 17. But jump right down to verse 20. Jesus is praying, talking to the Heavenly Father. He mentions the disciples for whom he's praying. But then he adds something very special that ought to give you goosebumps if you're a Christ follower. Okay? Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for the disciples, I pray also, listen, for those who will believe in me through their message. So my question is, have you believed in Jesus through the message in this book? Because if you've put your trust in Christ and, and surrendered your life to him, in John 17, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is looking down the corridor of time and he sees you and he's interceding for you in John 17. What I find equally amazing about this prayer is the selflessness of it. 
You know, just the historical context, this prayer is offered at the end of the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples are about to head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows that his arrest, his torture, his crucifixion is hours away. And facing that pain, he unleashes one long intercessory prayer for you and for me. How amazingly unselfish. And, you know, this is our first takeaway from this passage. In this world of meism, in this world of self-centeredness and self-absorption, if, if you want to break the stranglehold that has on your life, if you want to begin to truly care for other people, become an intercessory prayer. And, and you'll find that your world doesn't revolve so much around you as it does around other people. Now, John 17. Some Bible scholars refer to this as the real Lord's Prayer. They call it the real Lord's Prayer because they know that that title is most often given to another prayer. Uh, Pastor Jameson, a couple of weeks ago, preached on that prayer that begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We often refer to that as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. Bible scholars say, "Uh uh-uh. You know, that's the disciples' prayer. That's the prayer he taught his disciples to pray. If you want the prayer that Jesus himself prayed, the real Lord's Prayer, this is it, John 17. So we're about to look at the real Lord's Prayer, and we're going to ask three questions about intercessory prayer, petitioning in favor of others. Question number one, how do you learn how to do it? Okay, how do you learn how to intercede for others? Now, if your Bible's open to John 17, just keep your finger on verse 1. But I want to ask you a question that you're not going to be able to answer unless you you got your own Bible in front of you. The question is, as you look at the previous three chapters, okay, so flip through the pages, chapters 14, 15, and 16, what is the color of most of the letters in those chapters in your Bible? Call it out. Red. Okay, what do red letters mean when you're reading the New Testament? This is Jesus speaking. And so for three chapters, we're getting this long teaching session from Jesus at the Last Supper. So his disciples are gathered together with him in the upper room, and he has been teaching them some important things they need to know before he heads to the cross. Now you come to chapter 17. He's about to turn a corner. Verse 1 begins, after Jesus said this, Okay, this meaning everything he's just said in chapters 14 through 16. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Now, here's what I want you to note. I I, I want you to note that Jesus switches from, uh, from teaching his disciples to praying with no break. Okay, the guys are still in the room with him. In one breath, he's talking to them, and in the very next breath, he takes a breath, and now all of a sudden, he's talking to the Heavenly Father. So they're all observing his prayer. They're all listening in as Jesus prays. What does this tell you about how we learn to intercede? Okay, we learn how to intercede by hanging out with people who are interceding. Isn't that an astute observation? (laughs) Let me me just say it again. We learn how to intercede by watching people who are interceding. Isn't that how you learn how to talk? Of course it is. Some of you can't remember that far back. But, But when you were a little toddler in your home, how did you learn how to talk? You learned how to talk because you were surrounded by talking people. And you listened and you listened and you listened. And then one day you decided to give it a shot yourself. 
And so you, what did you say? The first words out of your mouth. It's probably something like, I'm sick and tired of applesauce. Somebody order a pizza, right? <laughs> of course it wasn't. You know, you said something like, mama. In fact, you may not he even have been looking at mama when you said it. You may have been looking at daddy and said, mama. And no one cared. They thought you were brilliant. Did you hear what he said? He just said, mama. When you become an, an inter- Accessory prayer, you don't have to say anything brilliant. You don't even have to communicate in full sentences. You're listening to other people talk to God and you say, well, I'm going to try that and you jump in. This is why, again, it's so important that you're in a community group. You're in this community group and there's a prayer time at the end and different people are praying and you're saying, I think I'll do that and boom, you jump in. You know, or you learn how to do this by coming to an, an Ignite worship and prayer time. And you've never prayed out loud before, but you, li you listen to other people and you say, well, it doesn't look that hard, I'll try it. This is what you do around your family dinner table. You conclude the meal and you say, hey, before we clear the dishes, let's just pray together as a family. Because people learn how to pray by praying. Moms and dads, bonus thought for you. Your kids learn how to pray by listening to you pray. So if, if you're one of those people who's opting out and you're saying, well, I just don't do that out loud, well, good luck. How are your kids going to learn how to pray? See, if you took that attitude with regard to talking, I just don't talk out loud at home. You know, your, your toddlers are never going to learn how to talk till they go to school and hear some people talking. So the way we learn how to pray in an intercessory fashion is by listening to others and then jumping in. One of the stories that I tell in my book, Prayer Coach, and I'm going to tell a couple of Prayer Coach stories today because it's not plagiarism if you steal your own stories. Edith Schaefer is a hero of mine. I've read several biographies about Edith and her husband. Back in the 1950s, they bought a chalet in the Swiss Alps, and they converted it into a hostel. If you've never traveled in Europe, it's a real cheap place to stay. And so people traveling uh, through that part of the world would stay at their hostel. And during the day, they'd hike the, the Swiss Alps or they'd be given chores to do because that's how you pay off some of your uh, living expenses when you're staying at a hostel. And then in the evening, Edith and her husband would engage their visitors in conversations about spiritual things. So they'd talk about Christianity or the Bible or about Jesus Christ. And through their influence, hundreds, you know, probably thousands of people began a relationship with Christ. People who were backpacking through Europe or intellectual types or artsy-fartsy folks, they all made their way to Edith's chalet. Conversations about Jesus became Christ followers. Well, in one, one of the biographies I read about them, Edith tells how she became an intercessor. When she was a little girl, she grew up in China because her parents were missionaries. And the director of the mission there in China was a big six-foot-something guy named Dr. Host. And every morning, Dr. Host would go and he'd walk the grounds, he'd walk the campus of their mission compound in China, and he would pray out loud. He would intercede for people by name. And uh, little Edith, she would tag along after, after him. She asked him one day, she said, do you mind if I come along on the walk? And he said, no, honey, you're free to join me. Just understand I won't be able to talk to you because I'm going to be talking to God. And so she trailed along and heard him pray for person after person after person by name. In fact, Edith said, when I heard my name, it was like 
doctor host this big guy is, he's now praying for me. She says, I learned two things from that experience of trailing along with Dr. Host. Insight number one, I learned that I really matter to God. Because when you hear somebody interceding for you, you say, I must be important to God. Now, that's a thought worth parking on for just a moment, isn't it? Dads, when you pray for your kids out loud, when they hear you praying for them by name, they know they matter to God. You know, wives, when your husbands hear you praying for them by name, they know that they matter to God. When the people in your community group share needs and then you go to prayer and you pray for one of those people's needs, that individual, that brother, that sister knows they matter to God. When you gather at an Ignite service or you sign up for a 30-minute spot on a, a prayer roster, it tells the staff, it tells the volunteers of a ministry like Christ Community Church, you guys matter to God. That's what it says. That's a great byproduct of intercessory prayer. It communicates value to other people. You get it? Good. And then the second lesson that Edith said she learned from watching Dr. Host intercede for others is that she wanted to be an intercessor herself. She said, just watching this guy, this is the point I'm trying to drive home. The way you learn how to intercede for others is by watching somebody do it. And you say, that's not that tough. I could do that. And you start doing it. This is how Jesus' disciples learned how to pray. You read through the gospel, gospel accounts and time and again, Jesus would leave the crowd, take his 12 followers off to some quiet place in the hills, or occasionally he'd just take three of the, of the buddies, Peter, James, and John, and they'd go away to pray, and these guys would watch Jesus pray, and that's how they learned to pray. In fact, some of you say, you know, I, I could never do this because I'm always intimidated. I get in a group, and there's somebody who prays his flowery prayer, and I could never do that. Yeah, how would you like to be one of the disciples? Okay, you're Peter, James, and John, and you're away with the, the Son of God. You listen to the Son of God talk to the God the Father, and then he turns to you and say, okay, it's your turn. So don't be intimidated. The way you learn how to do this is by watching other people who are doing it. Second thing, second question, who should we intercede for? Who should we intercede for? Now, how many of you have ever used a drive-through window at a fast food place? Okay? Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're lying, come on. How, how many of you have ever used a drive-through teller at a bank? Okay? How many of you have ever used a drive-through car wash? How many of you have ever used a drive-through prayer? I, I didn't think so. But I, I'm bringing it up because somebody, knowing the series I'm doing on prayer, handed me an article from a local paper this last week about a church down in Aurora that once a year does drive-through praying. Now, I'm, I'm not making this up. They, they, they're on a busy, their church is on a busy street, so they put a couple other people out on the street with placards that say, free prayer. And then people pull into their parking lot, they roll down their windows, they state their concern, and someone reaches in, puts a hand on their shoulder, and prays for them. I thought... This is a cool idea. You know, I could see us doing this. Randall Road in front of our St. Charles campus or Stearns Road out in, in, a, in Bartlett or uh, what is it? Uh, Lincoln Highway 38 is called out in, in front of our DeKalb campus or Galena down at our, our Blackberry Creek camp. We'll just put the free prayer signs out and people roll in and we pray for them. I got a better idea. 
How about instead of praying for a handful of strangers once a year, what if every day we interceded for the significant people in our lives? What if we did that? You say, well, you know, who would that be? Well, let's take a look at whom Jesus prayed for. Go go to John 17, and let me pick it up at verse 6. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, I've revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And so I pray for them. I'm not not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is praying here for his buds. Uh, these, these buddies of his also happen to be the future leaders of the Christian church, so I guess you could say he's, he's praying for Christian leaders here. And because we read in verse 20 that he's looking down the corridor of time and he's praying for everyone who would become a follower of his, he's praying for unbelievers who would become believers, here's some categories of people to pray for. Friends, Christian leaders, unbelievers... Let me make an observation here. I think that most of our praying, intercessory prayer, ends up being primarily for what I'll call squeaky wheel people. Right? You know the the old cliche that the squeaky wheel gets the grease? And so we apply the, the grease of our intercessory prayer mostly for people who've got squeaky wheel problems in their lives. So you stop and think about it. Who do you pray for? I'll bet in order to get on your prayer list, something bad has to happen to somebody, right? You know, in order for you to recognize, oh, there's something that needs to be prayed for, somebody has got to lose their job or be jilted by their boyfriend or have a heart attack, somebody's got to be facing a chemistry final exam or be wrestling with infertility or suffering chronic pain or about to do something generous, and then it dawns on on us, we ought to pray for that person. Well, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for people in those sorts of situations. I'm just saying that we ought to be praying for significant people in our lives even when they're not in dire straits. You tracking with what I'm saying here? Uh, Stephen Covey has written a best-selling book. It's been around for a long time. Probably many of you have read it, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Covey says that one of the habits that effective people engage in is they know how to separate the important from that which is merely urgent. So uh, many of us get wrapped around the axle of that which is urgent, but there are important things that that, that are left undone then. Covey says there, there are four kinds of activities in our lives. Okay, at one extreme, there are activities that are both important and urgent. Uh, for, for example, if it's April 14th and you haven't paid your taxes yet, it would be a good idea to do so. That's important and it's urgent. You've got 24 hours in which to get those taxes in the mail. Okay? He says that the other extreme are those activities in our lives that are unimportant and non-urgent, and unfortunately, that's what we often spend a lot of our time doing. You say, like what? Okay, reading the newspaper. So the newspaper arrived at the end of your driveway this morning. Whether or not you read that newspaper today is neither important nor urgent. It really isn't. It's a nice thing to do if you got the time. But it's not critical, and it's not pressing you, oh, read it quick, quick, quick. 
Okay, so between those extremes, Covey says there are two other kinds of activities. You with me so far? There are activities that are unimportant, but they seem to be urgent. They're, they're screaming at us, do this, do this, even though the reality is they're not that important. So you're out and about, you're doing some chores, and the bears are playing, and you keep looking at your watch and saying, i got to make it back for the fourth quarter. And so you're racing against the clock. It's urgent, but is it important? No. No. <laughs> No! Woohoo! <laughs> and, and, and that was from a Packers fan, okay? <laughs> but I could tell you as a Bears fan, if you miss the fourth quarter and you miss the game, it's not a life and death thing. It's really not a big deal, okay? Unimportant but screamingly urgent. Now, Covey says one last category. And this is the most important category of all. This separates the men from the boys, the women from the girls. Okay, this is the habit of highly effective people. They know how, how to attend to those activities that are important, but not seemingly urgent. Right, let me give you an example of this. Okay, brushing your teeth. That's important. Every dentist in the room would agree with that. Okay, it's an important thing to do. Is it urgent? If you don't brush your teeth today, will they fall out by bedtime? Probably not. Okay, the people sitting next to you right now wish you would brush your teeth, but, you know, it's, it's not like it's a, it's a screamingly urgent thing. However, if you neglect it day after day after day after day because it's not urgent, it'll become urgent someday, and they may fall out. All right? And some of you are thinking about now, isn't this a sermon on intercessory prayer? Where is he going with this? But the brighter members of the class know where I'm going with this, don't you? Intercessory prayer is one of those important but non-urgent activities. Well, there are times when it's urgent, okay? There are times when, when there is a crisis going on in the life of a loved one or a friend, and you better pray, and you better pray right away. But I want to talk to you now about the, those times when there is no crisis, but it's still critically important to be praying for the significant people in our lives. It's one of those important but non-urgent activities because if we don't do it, it may become urgent along the way. So how do you decide who those significant people are? Well, for me, I've made a list, okay, because I've got to write names down. It's got to be in print. Otherwise, I won't think to pray for these people until a crisis comes up in their lives. And once it's urgent, then I think, oh, I should be praying. But how do I remember to pray about important concerns for important people in my life, even though those concerns are not screamingly urgent? I do it by keeping a list. So the way I compiled my list, you could go to school on me in this regard. I got out a yellow legal pad, and I wrote down five or six categories of significant people in my life. So family members, obvious one. Close friends, close neighbors, yeah. The staff and the leadership at Christ Community Church, including our international impact partners around the world, uh, people in my life who need Christ. You know, I'm regularly meeting people at the health club or at Starbucks or neighbors of mine who don't yet know Jesus. So I want to be praying especially for them. Guys in my community group, uh, government leaders praying for the president and for our congressmen and, and so on. Scripture tells us to do that. So I made these little categories on my yellow legal pad, and then I started putting names, specific names, and I created a list of significant people to pray for. 
Now, if you do this, you may have 15 people on your list, or you may have 30 people. You may have 50 or 70 people on your list. What what I've done with my list is this. I put a post-it note at the top of my list. And when I have some time for intercessory prayer, I just move my post-it note down three or four names, and I pray for that clump of people. So I I found it works really well. I, I spend most of my time on the elliptical machine at the health club doing intercessory prayer for four or five friends at a shot. But I can do this while I'm walking the dog. I could do it while I'm washing dishes. I could do it while I'm mowing the lawn in the nooks and crannies of my life. And by the way, if I skip a day or I skip a week of intercessory prayer, I don't beat myself up. I don't guilt trip myself. I just go back to my list. I move my little post-it note down, a few more names, and I'm back in the game. You see how this works? So again, please don't misunderstand me. There will be crises in the lives of people around you, and you should be praying intercessory prayers for those things. But at the same time, there are important concerns in the lives of significant people in your life. And if you're not praying for them systematically, those important things will be forgotten. You'll you'll only remember when it becomes urgent. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, like, what are these important things that we ought to be praying for? And I'm glad you asked, because that's our last question today. What should we intercede for? So go back to the text. You know, if you're not praying for something urgent, if you're not praying because a good buddy's going in for surgery this week, or a friend of yours has a job interview, or one of your classmates filling out a college application, or a married couple you know is going to see a divorced lawyer, and now you know you better intercede. But if there's not a crisis, what do you intercede for? I detect at least three major themes to Jesus' intercessory prayer in John 17. Here's the first one. You'll want to jot these down because these are the things we need to be praying for for those significant people in our lives. Number one, salvation. People's relationship with God. Okay, I picked that up from the opening verses of John 17. Listen to how Jesus begins this prayer. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what topic is foremost in Jesus' mind as he begins his intercessory prayer? It's eternal life. Pops up a couple of times here. He wants people to know God. He wants people to know God's saving grace. So what what ought to be a prime concern of ours as we intercede for our kids? What what ought to be a prime concern of ours as we intercede for, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for the girls on our volleyball team, for our extended family members? It should be that they come to know God by surrendering their lives to Christ as Savior and Lord. Ever heard of a guy named DeWitt Talmadge? Yeah, I hadn't heard of him either until I picked up a biography of his life. I'm a voracious biography reader. I love life stories. And so I picked this book up, and I quickly discovered this dude was like the Billy Graham of the early 1900s. In fact, he pastored a church back in the early 1900s in Brooklyn 
whose auditorium was two and a half times the size of the auditorium in St. Charles, balconies included. 5,000 seats and everyone was filled on Sundays. He, he preached to packed crowds. And his sermons were, were printed in newspapers across the country with an estimated 100 million readers. And as a result, many people came to know, know Jesus through DeWitt Talmadge. So as I'm reading this biography, I'm thinking, and so how did he come to know Christ? And so I read this amazing story. He was one of 12 kids. In fact, he was child number 12. And every Saturday afternoon, his mother would disappear for a couple of hours. And people wondered, where did mom go? And they just assumed, well, she was chilling. I mean, she, you got 12 kids. You just got to take a break. And it wasn't until after mom died and they read her journals that they understood where mom had been going every Saturday afternoon for two hours, week after week, year after year after year. She'd been going to a neighbor's house and five moms had gathered together every Saturday afternoon to pray for their kids, specifically that their children would come to know Christ. And not surprisingly, all 12 Talmadge kids, DeWitt included, became Christ followers through mom's prayers. And, and when, I, when I hear a story like that, I love it because there are a number of people on my intercessory prayer list who don't yet know Christ, not, not in a personal way. And so they need, they need salvation. And so here's what I pray for them. I pray that God would bring circumstances into their lives that would create a sense of need. They'd understand that life is so much bigger than them. They've got to have God. You know, even if it's trials and tribulations, if that's what it takes, I say, God, you know, turn their heart to you. I pray that I would be bold in talking up Jesus when we're in conversation with each other. I pray that other friends who are Christ followers would cross their path so they don't think I'm the only, you know, Jesus freak out there. I pray that when I invite them to events at Christ's community, when I say, hey, you got to come to this next WOW event and hear this couple whose life stories behind that movie, The Value, I pray that they'll say yes. I'm praying for others' salvation. Now, please understand that when I, Scripture uses the word salvation, it's not simply talking about that initial decision people make to put their trust in Jesus. Salvation is a, is a bigger word. It refers to every aspect of our spiritual lives. In fact, when Jesus talks about eternal life in the opening verses of his intercessory prayer, he defines eternal life in verse 3 as knowing God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So when I pray for salvation, when I pray for eternal life for people, I, I even pray for Christ-following people for spiritual aspects of their lives. I pray they dig into God's Word, top of my prayer list for my Christian friends. Oh, God, give them an appetite for your Word. Today, help them to push the roots down into Scripture and draw some nourishment for themselves. I pray that they would be generous stewards with the resources God's given them. I pray that they would be bold in sharing their faith with their friends at school and at work. So salvation, that's the first thing that we pray for people on our list. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Secondly, protection. Now, I know what you're probably thinking when I say protection. You're thinking, ah, yeah, we should pray that God protects people from disease and protects them from foreclosure on their home or protects them from car accidents or losing their job. And I would say, sure, there is, there's no harm in interceding for God's protection in these sorts of areas. In fact, when, uh, when my kids became teenagers, that's when my prayer life really took off. 
when, when they came home with their driver's license, okay? And uh, my, my daughter to this day drives with a lead foot, so I know what it is to pray protection prayers. But, but when Jesus prays protection for his friends, he's got something else in mind. See, physical dangers are not the only perils that we need to seek God's protection from when we're interceding for people on our prayer list. Listen to what Jesus prayed protection from. I'm going to pick it up at verse 11, and I want you to circle in your Bible every time you, you see the word protect or protected here, okay? Verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, so protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. So my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Okay, as Jesus prayed this prayer of protection, what was he praying that his friends would be protected from? A wicked world? The evil one? You think of the people on your list, okay? You create a little list and you got 15, 20, 30 people, 50 people you're praying for, just systematically, regularly praying for important concerns, and one of them is protection. And so as you look at their name on the list, you're asking yourself the question, you know, what kind of temptation do they face on a daily basis? From my knowledge of these friends, what bad habits do they struggle with? What addictions entangle them? What moral compromises are they considering? What idols in their lives tend to push God to the peripheral edge of things? What negative influences are they potentially blind to? God, protect them from these things. You see how that works? You know, I think of Simon Peter. In this regard, Peter, you know the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. On the night that Jesus was arrested and tortured and later crucified, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. He was following the entourage that was trailing behind, uh, you know, the party that had arrested Jesus. And three occasions, someone asked him, someone in the crowd said, aren't you one of his followers? And every time he vehemently denied it. He denied knowing his best friend and mentor. He messed up. But fortunately for Peter, it wasn't a train wreck that destroyed his life. Fortunately for Peter, it didn't eventuate in him walking away from the Savior entirely. In fact, if you know the story, you know that Peter repented of his sin very remorsefully, very sorrowfully. You know that later on, Jesus reinstated him to leadership in the, in the ministry team. So, so what kept Peter at this time in his life when he took a nosedive? What kept Peter from tanking completely? Do you know the answer to that question? It's Jesus' intercession on his behalf. Back at the Last Supper, this is from Luke chapter 22. In the middle of the Last Supper, Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
And so when you have turned back, you know, because you will turn back, strengthen your brothers. Wow. Jesus says to Peter, you're about to take a hit. You're about to take a hit from Satan himself, but when the dust settles, you're going to be standing. And you know why? It's because I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you. Friends, this is one of those important, but we don't always see it as urgent things to pray for for the people on our list, especially if you're a mom, you're a dad for your, for your kids. God's protection from evil, God's protection from temptation, God's protection from Satan. One last thing I note that Jesus prayed for. Number three, he prayed for relationships. I think Lu Lucy said it best. Remember Lucy from the old Peanuts uh, comic strip? She said, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> Jesus knows that one of the greatest challenges we face in this world is getting along with other people. And so when he intercedes for his close friends, when he intercedes for his followers, he prays hard that they'll get along with each other. He prays that they'll resolve conflicts, that they'll strive for unity, that they'll value oneness. As I read a closing paragraph from this prayer, beginning at verse 20, note how many times Jesus uses the word one or unity. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What should you be praying for when you intercede for the people on your prayer list? You ought to be praying for relationships in their lives, for, for oneness. You know, if you're praying for a married person, it's just a good thing to pray for their relationship with their spouse. Don't wait for a crisis. Pray it now. You know, if they're, if they're working in a difficult job, you might want to pray for their relationship with their boss. If they're a, a teenager, it's a pretty safe bet you ought to pray for their relationship with their mom and their dad. Okay, if they're single, you ought to pray for their relationships with the people they date. If they're a Christ follower, you ought to pray for their relationships with their neighbors and friends and uh, schoolmates who don't know Jesus. Relationships. Someone has said no man is an island. That's true. Everybody's connected to other people. And so when you're interceding for those on your prayer list, just start by praying for relationships. Okay, who wants to be an intercessor? Do you want to be an intercessor? Okay, that was okay, but you know it's not good enough because the folks in Bartlett and Blackberry Creek and, and DeKalb, they couldn't hear the St. Charles folks. So let, let's try one more time. You want to be an intercessor? Yes, yes. This is, this is a privilege. This is how we communicate value to others. We, you know, this is better than being a sports agent. This is you standing before Almighty God petitioning in favor of others. It's a wonderful job. How do you learn how to do it? Real simple. You hang out with people who are doing it. You watch what they do. And then at some point, you just jump in. You try your first sentence, your first line. Okay? Who do you pray for? 
not just those who have a pending crisis. I mean, that's a great place to begin. When someone comes to you with a crisis, go to God in prayer with it right away. But when they don't have a crisis, at least create a list of people that you're going to systematically pray for, for your kids, for your neighbors, for close friends, for the people in the cubicle next to you at work, okay? And then you systematically go through that list praying. And what do you pray? You pray for salvation, meaning all things spiritual, whether they're believers or unbelievers. You pray for protection from sin and from temptation, from this world, from the evil one. And you pray for relationships going on in their lives. Let's be intercessors. Stand together with me. And as we stand and say, Charles, I'm going to turn things over to the regional campus pastors to conclude our time. But I'm going to give you all a very special assignment right now. Okay, would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to give you one minute of intercessory prayer time. Now, here's the way the game goes. I play this game with God all the time. By the way, this is another way to do the intercessory prayer thing when you don't have a list with you. Okay, you created a list of people to pray for, but now you're standing in line at Jewel, and there are 14 people ahead of you. Okay, so you got some time, but you don't have your list with you. What do you do? You know what you do? Real simple. Say, God, I'm going to pray for the next person you bring to my mind, whoever that is. (laughs) And it's kind of a fun game. God will bring someone to your mind, I guarantee. Like right now, I'm going to ask you, who does God put on on the screen of your imagination? It might be somebody you, you just, whoa, where did that come from? Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you work next to. Who comes to the screen of your imagination right now? God, put somebody on our minds right now. Okay, whoever that is, I'm going to give you one minute to pray for that individual. You pray for salvation, spiritual matters, okay? You pray for protection, and you pray for relationships for that person. You're going to be an intercessor over the next 60 seconds. Go for it. While your head's still bad, okay, I can't resist the urge to say what you're doing right now is, is what we do at Ignite. You just do it out loud, okay? And I want to I let you know, my prayer, I've been praying, God, give us a 1,000 people at Ignite this weekend. So tonight, I hope you'll throw your head over the fence. I hope you'll be here. Say, I could, I could cut an hour and a half of time out of my schedule to worship God and to spend a couple of blocks of time in prayer. And by the way, we've got four out of our six international impact partners with us tonight. We, we, we didn't plan it this way, it just so happened. Shadanke Johnson from Sierra Leone, Mark Munchie from Bangladesh, Ben Butler from Nicaragua, Hubert Morquette from Haiti, they're all going to be with us tonight praying and worshiping along with us. So it's going to be a, a, a hoop and holler time. So, so come on out tonight. And sign up for a 30-minute segment of prayer on the wall before you go. God, thank you for what we just learned about interceding, that we can do it. We can do it. 
And it is a wonderful feeling to sense that, oh, my world just stopped revolving around me and it's focused on somebody else for a change. And it's good. It feels good to communicate value to people by interceding for them. Now, Lord, take and stretch this moment out so that it becomes a habit for us. May this be the week when the people in this auditorium and at our other campuses become intercessory prayers and make a regular habit of it. And Father, too, I just I pray for those who brought burdens in with them. God, give them the initiative to go to our prayer team on the side side aisles or up front with Sue and me and, and just unburden themselves so that we could pray for them. Thanks for prayer. We pray all this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen.